0: Amen. Praise God. We'll turn to our master text for this teaching today in Hebrews chapter 12. And while you're turning there, um, I just want to say by way of introduction that I've been promising some of you that I'm going to get to my annual teaching series on money sometime soon. And I actually got part one of that series all put together and then I felt like the Holy Spirit said, not eh, Not yet. So I'll get to that, I promise, real soon, in fact. But today's teaching is going to be kind of a continuation of the series that we recently completed on faith, because I felt like there was some unfinished business on that. And I believe the Holy Spirit led me to talk to you today about three reasons why our prayers often go unanswered. And uh, this teaching I'm calling... So that your prayers will not be hindered. Which is a phrase lifted out of a verse that we'll look at later. But first let's go ahead and read our master text. So if you're there in Hebrews chapter 12, stand up with me if you will. And let's honor the reading of God's word. It's just three verses. Um, two verses actually. Uh, verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews says this. Make every effort. Everybody say every effort. Every effort. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to look at that master text more deeply here in a moment. But I want to say, as we get started here, again, I'm going to give you three reasons why our prayers often go unanswered. And the first one I'm going to give you today is uh, unforgiveness and bitterness. Unforgiveness and bitterness. There may be no greater grace blocker than this. As a matter of fact, so what we're going to do is we're going to break down Hebrews chapter 12 that we just read, our master text, so we can more deeply understand this. So look at the screen. I'm providing a little graph for you here uh, so that we can more easily understand this. Remember, it talks about making peace with all people. So looking at this from a negative side, if we fail to do this, if we fail to make peace with everyone, according to the text that we just read, then there is no holiness. Remember? Failure to make peace with everyone results in no holiness. That no holiness results in no spiritual perception. No spiritual perception. And again, from the text that we just read, no spiritual perception leads to no ability to recognize roots of bitterness. And if you don't have the ability to recognize roots of bitterness and those roots of bitterness then defile you and the others around you. Okay, See to it that no bitter root grows up to defile many is what our text said. So, roots of bitterness will defile you and others around you and then that leads to ultimately missing the grace of God in certain aspects of your life. Remember it says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to defile many and miss the grace of God. So I want to give you an example of this. I've told you a little bit about my upbringing and the home that I was raised up in. I want to give you a little bit more detail about that. I was uh, raised in a home where uh, my parents were divorced at six years of age. And although... There was some very positive aspects about the way I grew up. My mom was a, a, a church-going woman. And she taught us the Bible and, and got us in church regularly. And so there were some very positive aspects of my upbringing. But there was some very negative, dysfunctional aspects of my upbringing as well. Because in our home, there was a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness grew up to defile many. Um, as a matter of fact, it shattered our family. Now, some divorces are uglier than others, and ours didn't have to be as ugly as it was because that root of bitterness that one party, my mother, in particular, she's deceased now, uh, God bless her. And I think I told you in her previous teaching recently that she did get it right toward the end of her life when she discovered that she had Alzheimer's disease. But, but this root of bitterness dominated her for 40 years. And it shattered our family. Again, divorce in and of itself will shatter a family, but some divorces are uglier than others. And this root of bitterness that grew up to defile her defiled also the rest of the seven kids. And to this very day, folks, some of the siblings don't talk to each other. Because the root of bitterness of one person, it defiled many. So I want you to understand that we miss the grace of God when we allow that root of bitterness to grow up uh, and defile us because that defilement ends up defiling many other people in the process. It really, really emotionally and psychologically harmed all seven children in our family. And I just want to say one thing to some of you. I know that there's some in the room that have been divorced before. And I want to say one thing to you. It's a very, very damaging thing when one parent says, to their children, you can't love me if you're having a relationship with that other person. You can't be loyal to me if you're having a relationship with that other person. That's a very damaging, horrendous thing to do to a child because a child wants to love both parents. Now I do realize that sometimes one parent can do some horrendous things, but by the same token, never should a parent be telling a child don't have relationship with them because they're such a horrible person. Because that rips at the heart of a child. That rips at the heart and that it, it causes psychological damage. Now, I do understand, I, I absolutely understand that if the other party is a wicked, evil, vile person, there's ways that you can still have relationship with them and not put yourself in harm's way or not put yourself in a, in, or that child in a situation where... You know, they, they've been put in harm's way. There's a way to do that and still honor that parent and love that parent without, um, you know, without putting themselves in harm's way. So there's ways to do this. That's not my message this morning. But my message is this part right here. Roots of bitterness will defile you and others around you. You do great psychological damage to children when you say you can't be loyal to me and love me if you have a relationship with that other person. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. So, But this applies to so many different areas of life. If you have a root of bitterness, it can grow up and defile not only yourself, but people around you. Okay? Does this make sense? Okay? That's why the scriptures say that. So let's go through this again. Failure to make peace with everyone results in no holiness. No holiness will result in no spiritual perception. No spiritual perception results in no ability to recognize when there's roots of bitterness going on. And those roots of bitterness will defile you and others around you and then cause you to miss the grace of God. So what are some ways that we miss the grace of God then? Ways that we miss the grace of God. First of all, it compromises our faith. Meaning that it compromises our ability to really trust God and believe God for his promise as a compromise of our faith and that results in no answered prayer because the Bible tells us that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and so uh, in order to have answered prayer uh, we need to be walking in faith but here's an important uh, verse right here Galatians 5-6 says faith worketh by love if you want your faith to work if you want to be in a position where you're able to trust God more for those answered prayers, for those petitions, for those promises that you see in the Word of God, then we need to be obeying this to walk in love so that our faith can work better. Amen? And then likewise, um, ways that we can miss the grace of God is no favor. We can miss the favor of God. James 4.6 says, but He, meaning God, gives more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor or grace to the humble we don't want to miss the favor of God do we we don't want to miss the favor of God we don't want to be opposed by God but this is the way that we can miss the grace of God is to be a prideful person that refuses to let go of offenses and that can affect our prayer life So, folks, there are certain things that can wreck our ability to have faith when we pray. can wreck our ability to have faith when we pray. Um, We we can pray and declare and talk a good talk of faith, but if we're harboring roots of bitterness in our hearts toward people, we're not going to get very far. And that's what those passages that we just read are saying. Here's another one. Uh, Deception. We can walk in deception if we don't, get past these roots of bitterness in our hearts. See, in that text that we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, what's that mean? Is that a heaven or hell issue? It could very well be, but that word see in the Greek is the Greek word horao, and it means to see or to see with the mind, to perceive, So without holiness, no one will perceive the Lord. We won't perceive the deeper things of God. We won't have spiritual perception. We won't have a quickened spiritual mind. There'll be darkness in our lives that we'll walk in. We'll be ripe for deception, in other words. See, when we choose to walk in love and forgiveness toward all people, we deepen our spiritual perception and our sensitivity. But when we harden our hearts, we become spiritually dull, an easy prey for deception and the spirit of Antichrist. Here's another one stagnation, spiritual stagnation. I want to give you a reference here from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which most of us know. By heart, probably. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. What's what's a trial that would pertain to what we're talking about this morning? Someone hurting you? Someone misrepresenting you? Someone lying about you, slandering you, mistreating you in some way? That's a trial. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work I think that's interesting language there, interesting terminology let, means you have a part to play in this, let perseverance finish its work in other words, don't try to squirm out of the problem don't resist it, and and the person that's hurting you, don't try to hurt them back okay Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is the potential benefit of of obeying that promise right there. So one should write this down. When we run from tests, we forfeit the opportunity for growth. When we run from tests, we forfeit the opportunity for growth. See, sometimes, now get this, God sometimes has us in situations with people, different people, to chisel the rough edges off of us and also to be a light to them. But if we shrink back from every situation that's uncomfortable, listen, if we shrink back from every situation that's uncomfortable, we stagnate. Because we never allow ourselves to be in situations that test our metal and make us stronger in the long run. You agree with that? Amen. I know that's not a very popular truth right there, but come on, let me, let me say that again. When we run from every situation that's uncomfortable, we forfeit situations where it tests our metal and makes us stronger in the long run. Thus, so many Christians commit spiritual abortion by uprooting themselves from people and places where God has planted them. I want to say that again. Are are you connecting with me this morning? Okay. Okay, again, so many Christians run from situations and they uproot themselves from the people and places where God has planted them And when they do that, they destroy important kingdom connections that were meant for their future promotion, folks. And as a result, they stay immature and unfruitful. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. When you see someone who is being very used of God, that did not just magically happen. A lot of people think it did. That doesn't just magically happen. That person or people had to undergo some tests that they had to then pass, probably many tests that they had to pass in order to get to the place where they are right now. On the other hand, when you see Christians who seem to have so much knowledge and so much talent and so much potential, but not much seems to be going on in their lives, they don't seem to be all that fruitful, well, that could be a timing thing, and that's true as well. But very often... That's because they haven't passed their tests yet. They haven't passed their own personal tests. And they get to stay right where they are until they do. I love how God does things. He never, you know, he never ultimately fails you. You may fail a test, but you never ultimately fail. He just gives you a retest until you pass it. Even if it takes 50 years. That's the way God works. He's gracious like that. That's why some people go around the same mountains over and over and over and over again. Because God said, eh, you blew it for the 56th time. Let's take a 57th lap around. You may, maybe you'll get it this time. Praise God. Here's another one. No or partial fulfillment of one's calling or loss of reward. Let me say that again. No or partial fulfillment of one's calling equals loss of reward I'm going to reference James 2 1 8 here 2 John 2 2 John 1 verse 8 I'll get it right here in a minute it says watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for but that you may receive a full reward somebody say full reward See, if there's a full reward, then by implication, that means there could also be a partial reward or even no reward, right? So that's another way that we could possibly miss the grace of God. Look, let me read it again. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. That's God's desire for you, that you receive a full reward, not a partial one. And not no reward. He wants you to be rewarded. So we need to get this, what I'm talking about here, we need to get this right so that we don't forfeit some of our reward. All right. Let me give you another one. Um, Another scripture on this particular point. Um, 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. Now in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We have to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. And folks, I want to tell you that nursing grudges against people is dishonorable. It's sin. And we're to treat others with the same grace that God has offered to us. Listen, on that note, I want to qualify something, though. When someone has violated your trust, okay, I want to give you a little bit of perspective on this. When someone has violated your trust... Uh, offering grace doesn't mean you just indiscriminately trust them again with everything. See, we do have to exercise some wisdom and not put ourselves in harm's way and uh, not place ourselves in compromising situations with some people. As an example, um, I've heard of you know fathers violating their children, uh, being violent with their children, or sexually abusing their children. Did you know that there's a a way to honor a father like that and to still have relationship with them, to show them the love of Christ without putting yourselves in harm's way? How do you do that? Don't go over to his house alone by yourself if you're a female that can't overpower him if he decides to do something crazy. you got to exercise some wisdom. Okay? Honor him love him, invite him out to a public place maybe to have a meal with him and show the love of God to him. But don't put yourself in a compromising or potentially dangerous situation. That's just the wisdom of God right there. So there, there are some situations where you have to put yourself at, at arm's length and a distance, put some distance between yourself and some people, not because of vindictiveness, but because of self-preservation. But be careful. I wanna give you a warning right here. Be careful because a human heart is so deceptive, folks. What we call self-preservation can easily be a root of bitterness that we're simply disguising. And God knows the difference. So be honest with yourself and with God, okay? Here's another one. Ways that we miss the grace of God. Uh, we can find ourselves in torment. Rather than the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, like the Bible says, we can find ourselves in a situation where we're experiencing emotional torment. In... The passage that we just read, and the one that we'll read here in a moment as well, our master text plus the one that we'll read here in a moment in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, we won't read that whole thing, but just a portion of it, that's the parable of the unmerciful servant. And we can see in that parable that there's possible loss of salvation. I'm going to show you the the last few verses of that to prove that. And that's possibly even what it's referring to in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says that we miss the grace of God. Now, apart from a salvation issue, we miss the grace of God in so many ways where we could have been enjoying his benefits. But those benefits were passed by because we were not operating the way we were supposed to. But Matthew 18 is the parable that Jesus told about the unmerciful servant. And you remember the parable where this, this servant owed a huge debt to a, a monarch, a king, that he couldn't pay back. So he went and he, uh, he was brought in before the king. And the king demanded that he pay the whole thing back. And he said, please be patient with me. I don't have the, the whole amount right now, but I'll do what I can to, to get the whole amount. Because you know what they did when you couldn't pay back a debt back then, Right. They sold you, your wife, and your children into slavery so you could pay back the debt. And so he was distressed, obviously, please be patient with me, and and I'll pay you everything. And out of compassion, that king said, you know what, don't worry about it, I'm going to forgive the whole thing. And of course he was like, oh my word, he was overjoyed by that. But then he responds like this, he goes out and finds a fellow servant that owes him a very small sum of money compared to what he owed the king And he takes the guy by the throat and he says, pay me what you owe me. And then he has the guy thrown in debtor's prison. And the other king's servants witnessed this. They reported it back to the king. The king called that servant back in and he said this to him. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And verse 35 should smack you right between the eyes right now. So brace yourself. Brace yourself like a man. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's a sober thought, isn't it? Now, I want to focus in on verse 34. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Again, that could be a heaven or hell issue, depending on what theologians you might read. But at the very least, folks, the very least, it's the demonic being unleashed on someone's life. It's doors being opened to Satan and his demons to come in and steal, kill, and destroy See, when you see a Christian who seems tormented emotionally or mentally, it might very well be a root of bitterness. That's not the only reason that people have emotional and, and you know, spiritual issues, uh, um, emotional and, and mental issues. That's not the only reason, but that's certainly one of them. Because sometimes a door has been opened to the demonic to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. See, listen, unforgiveness... Is like blood in the water that attracts sharks. Unforgiveness attracts the demonic into your life. See, you can't afford that. The reason that Satan uses this tactic of stirring up trouble between people is because, first of all, it works so very well. People take the bait almost every time. So it works so well. But the other reason he does that is he's hoping that at least one party will take that bait and harbor that root of bitterness which will grow up and defile many and destroy not only your anointing but perhaps even your health and so much more. Going back to the example that I use with my family, that root of bitterness that my mother had defiled many because many other people in our family and outside of it begin to share in that same root of bitterness. I have six siblings. Well, one's deceased now, so five. But all of them, other than myself, I, I mean, by the grace of God, I've been fairly healthy all of my life, but all of my siblings have had health issues, either physical ones or mental-emotional ones. And my sister, who was deceased, struggled with health problems all of her life, mental, emotional, and physical, and she died fairly young from a diabetic episode. Um, And she was, in many respects of her life, tormented emotionally and mentally because of this, this root of bitterness that grew up to defile many. And I can say this now about my relationship with my sister, God bless her, I believe she's in heaven now. She did have a relationship with the Lord, but she was tormented. And when, when I was in her presence, I felt like I needed a bath after I spent time with her because she was just regurgitating all this junk about all the people that she knew and in our family, and it's like, man, I don't need to be slimed with that. And so that root of bitterness grew up to defile all the kids in our family and just decimated our family just decimated it, and it hasn't recovered to this day. Look, I want you to understand, this root of bitterness, if we don't let it go, can grow up to defile many, and not only stop the anointing in your life, but even affect your health, and so much more beyond that. Listen, don't give demons access to your life. Don't give those demonic messengers of Satan, access to your life. Folks, did you know that some sicknesses are demonic? In the scriptures, the Bible tells us that the woman that had been bent over for 38 years that Jesus healed, Jesus said, this daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. Satan bound her. Okay? Some sicknesses can be demonic. See, when doors are opened through unforgiveness... Now, it's not the only way that doors are open. There's many other ways that doors are open to the demonic as well. But when doors are open through unforgiveness, sexual immorality, the occult, pornography, mind-altering drugs, etc., demons can come in and set up shop even if you're a Christian. See, some mental health issues are absolutely demonic. Some habitual sin problems are definitely demonic. Some of those are passed down through family lines, through demonic strongholds and generational curses, one generation to the next. That's why you hear about how alcoholics sometimes beget alcoholics in, in their future generations. Okay, See, Satan so wants us to be in unforgiveness so he, can, he and his demons have access to you and me. I want to give you a visual right now of how, um, how unforgiveness brings death. Um, you're looking there on the screen at um, a map of the Sea of Galilee uh, up there at the top. And the Sea of Galilee flows into the Jordan River, and the Jordan River ultimately flows there at the bottom into the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it because it's so full of salt that you can literally lay down and float in the water. That's how much salt is in there, so nothing can live in it. Well, that's because it receives water. The Dead Sea receives water from the Jordan River, but it doesn't flow back out anywhere. It receives but never gives, so it results in death. Listen, you and I have freely received the gift of forgiveness from our Savior, and it's our obligation to let it flow back out onto others. And if we refuse to do that, the flow of the Spirit of God stops in your life and brings death in certain areas of your life. I'm not saying you're just going to drop dead, but I'm saying in certain areas of your life, you're going to experience death, you're going to experience some destruction and lack of progress, and lack of fruitfulness in certain areas of your life. So look at this line on the screen here. When we nurse an offense, we set up walls in our hearts and stop the flow of God. Just like the Dead Sea stops the flow from the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. Same kind of concept, same visual there. See, unforgiveness or nursing an offense will stop the anointing. It blocks the favor of God and hinders our prayers. Which is what the focus is this morning. Three ways that your prayers sometimes can be hindered and go unanswered. Unforgiveness and bitterness stops the anointing and blocks the favor of God and hinders your prayers. But love and forgiveness breaks the dam. And restarts the flow. Hallelujah. Now, let me transition thoughts here. It's often true that people in the church and people in your family can often hurt you more than anyone. And I want to explain why that's true with this visual that I have here up on the screen. So take a look at this visual, this, uh, this graphic here. So the, the worldly person over there um, on the right... The worldly person may have done less for you than the, and treated you less congenially than the saved person over here on the left, people in the church. But because your expectations of the worldly person was maybe somewhat lower, what they did do exceeded your low expectations and the person in the church may have done much more for you than the worldly person, but because your expectations of them were a little higher and maybe they fell a little short, you were offended at them because they did not meet your high expectations. So again, even though the person there on the right, the worldly person, may have done less for you than the person in the church, they exceeded your expectations, so you're delighted with them, but the person in the church may have done much more for you than the worldly person, but because they didn't quite meet your higher expectations, you're offended at them. You see that how that works? Now, I get it. I realize that some people, even in the church, can act really, really ugly. In fact, I was telling Brent Denny the other day that 99% of the persecution that I've received personally is from people in the church. 99%. So I absolutely realize that <laughs> that people in the church can act very, very uh, ugly sometimes. So I, I, I definitely get that. As a matter of fact, uh, on, this, on that note, in Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, this is um, David writing, and he says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. He was talking about a good friend who he worshiped with. And I told Pam Hall the other day, because she's kind of experienced the same thing, not with anybody in this church, but someone outside of the church who's in the faith, who's persecuted her a little bit. I told her, I never get used to the fact that the people of God in the church will attack one another over these peripheral things that have nothing to do with the centrality of her faith. And then, then they divide themselves into little camps and little groups and cut themselves off from one another over these peripheral things. I never get used to that. I never am ceased to be shocked over that sort of behavior from the people of God. I'm not shocked by that from people outside of the church, but I never get used to the fact that people in the church act like that. Lord, help us. John Bevere, who is the author of the series that the ladies are about to study on the bait of Satan, said this, everyone is always looking for the false prophet behind the the pulpit, Everyone is always looking for the false prophet behind the pulpit. They may be there, but I find there is a whole lot more false prophets out there in the congregation than there is behind the pulpit. (laughs) That's definitely true. Remember, his series, The Bait of Satan, was so named because offense is indeed a satanic bait designed to entrap and ultimately destroy and undermine your faith and also divide and destroy the local fellowship. That's why Satan does this sort of thing divide and conquer. And John Bevere says that between 50 and 80% of the people that he ministers ministers this message to are offended and are holding bitterness against someone and don't even realize it. He has them raise their hands at the end of some of his teachings, asking for a response of how many people can think of someone that they didn't even realize maybe they had an offense with, but now... They're able to recognize, he says, between 50 and 80% of the people in in the room that he ministered to, Christian people, 50 to 80% are holding grudges against people, nursing an offense, and didn't even really realize it because they pushed it down so far. And you can actually be deceived by nursing an offense against someone because that is Satan's strategy. See, whether the offense is because someone has genuinely acted up and genuinely hurt you and wronged you, or because we are misinterpreting someone's actions and get offended because of our own vain imaginations, and I want to emphasize that because that happens too. I've done it. Gotten offended at someone, thinking I knew what their intentions were. When I sat down with them and talked with them, I went, oh, that's not at all what I thought was going on. So your vain imaginations, as Satan wants to, he wants to fan that fire of your vain imagination. So sometimes you're offended simply because of your own vain, vain imagination, not because of what someone is actually thinking or doing. That's why sitting down and talking things out is so helpful sometimes. Okay, so whether it's that, a vain imagination, or whether someone has genuinely wronged you or hurt you, either way, Satan will try his best to get you offended at someone and for you to nurse and hold on to that offense. Because that's such a powerful strategy to undermine what God would otherwise be doing through you. And that scenario that I gave you about people in the church is just as true with people in your family. Same scenario, so I'll use the same graphic here. The people in your family may have done a lot more for you than people, uh, you know, outside of your family. But because you had lower expectations on people outside of your family, maybe they delighted you because you had low expectations and they exceeded those low expectations. And people in your family you had much higher expectations for. But because maybe they didn't, they didn't quite meet those higher expectations, you were offended at them. That's what I'm talking about. So sometimes the offense is a genuine and horrible offense, but sometimes it's just your perception of the situation, right? So the the first way, I'm going to go a lot faster through the next two. But this first one, that things that hinder our prayers and cause our prayers to, uh, to go unanswered, is unforgiveness and bitterness because it undermines your faith and causes God to oppose you because by doing that, you're walking in pride. And you're not, we are not um, acting like our Savior has acted toward us When He forgave us of so much and we won't pass that on to other people That hinders your faith, hinders your prayer life Let me give you the second one, second reason why our prayers are sometimes hindered or go unanswered And this is to you men Men, listen up right now, this is to you Harshness with one's wife will undermine your faith and hinder your prayers This is right here out of 1 Peter 3, 7. Let's look at what it says. Husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as a delicate vessel and with honor as fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life. Here it is. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Is there something that can hinder our prayers? Absolutely, men not treating your wife with consideration as a delicate vessel, someone who will share with you the gracious gift of life. That will hinder your prayers. So, men, I just want to tell you right now, when you treat your wife like a doormat, when you treat her like some second-class citizen that you domineer over, um, God doesn't like that very much. And it says that will hinder your prayers. I want to remind you, gentlemen, that the woman that you're married to is God's daughter. The woman that you're married to is God's daughter. And he takes it very seriously how you treat his daughters. But women, let me talk to you right now. Because the man you're married to is God's son. Wives, I want to say something to you right now that I hope will encourage you and give you some direction along these lines that will help in this process, that will help your husband. I want to encourage you, wives, to give your husbands something to work with. See, the first six verses of this chapter in 1 Peter chapter 3, the first six verses are directed at wives and directs wives to treat their husbands with honor. So wives, you make it so much easier for your husbands to treat you with gentleness and love when you're doing the same for them, okay? And listen, ladies, you don't want your husband's prayers to be hindered, right? You don't want your husband's prayers to be hindered. So help him treat you as a delicate vessel by acting like one. See, so many wives want to be treated like a delicate vessel, but they act like bulldozers. Seriously. Listen, wives. Behave how like you want to be treated. Do unto others how you want it to be done unto you. And that mutual respect in your home will help your prayer life. I'm not getting a lot of amens this morning. I must be hitting a lot of nerves. That's okay. The word of God will hit nerves sometimes. And you just have to say, amen, or oh me, or whatever, you know, whatever. You need to say, you know, that pertains to me, so Lord, I'm going to change. I'm going to adjust my behavior to line up with your word so that nothing will hinder my prayers. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to give you the last one right here, and that's lack of submission. Lack of submission. My scripture reference is 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, here it is again, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, the implied definition of submission here means doing it when you don't feel like it. <laughs> Listen, the implied definition of submission means doing it when you don't feel like it. And I want to give you an example of that. When we were on vacation in, down in Florida recently, I uh, went to the gym. And had a workout uh, uh, about every day. It's nice when I'm on vacation because I get to exercise more than sometimes I get to when I'm going about the business of my usual schedule. So uh, I hit the gym about every day, and and, uh, there was this one situation where um, this one station um, had a, a bar on it with a couple of plates, weight plates on the end, and it didn't look like anybody was using it, so I just took the plate off of the one end of the bar and begin to use it in a different exercise. And uh, then this older gentleman uh, walked up to me and kind of corrected me in a somewhat of a harsh manner and uh, said, hey, I was still using that. And um, let me let, let you in on a little little gym protocol so that you can kind of understand what was going on with me um, in that moment. So there's a uh, there's a gym protocol that when you're in a gym and you're using a device or you're using a station, if you leave that station to go to the restroom or something, you put a towel on it or a bottle of water or something to let people know this is still in use, this person stepped away for a moment, but this is still in use. Well, this person didn't do that. So it just looked like the station had been abandoned. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take this plate off this, this bar and use it. And then he walked up to me uh, a minute or two later and kind of chastised me a little bit for taking that plate off that bar. Well, my, just for a split second, I I mean, a very split second, I wanted to inform him on proper gym protocol. But I didn't. Um, And I'm serious. This was like, uh, in a split second, I was able to get past that. And he got done saying what he was saying, and not that kind of a way. And went, I'm so sorry. Um, Sorry about that. I'm, I'm really sorry. And that's pretty much it. And then he walked away. It diffused the whole situation. He just walked away. Well, I can remember a day when I would not have done that. I can remember a day where I would have informed him about proper gym protocol and put him in his place. But I didn't do that. He was an, an older gentleman. Not that I wouldn't have acted the same way with someone younger, but But as I thought about that later, I thought about, man, it didn't take but a second. I didn't have to hold myself back. I had one little flare, I mean, very so slightly, but it was like over in a second, and my knee-jerk response was, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry about that. And listen, I don't always get those situations right, okay, but I got it right that time. And I started thinking about that. Why was my... Knee jerk response just to submit to that man, even though he wasn't being very nice. Why was it my knee jerk response to submit to that man and just ask for an apology rather than to correct him on what he had done wrong? Why was that the case? Well, because spending time in God's presence, folks, when you spend time in God's presence, in His Word, in prayer, in worship, in fasting, which I'd been doing a lot of that will cause God's character to become your own. That way you more easily walk in the spirit rather than responding in the flesh all the time. And again, I'm not holding myself up as some ultimate example of that, but I just I got it right in this case. And I was looking back and at what I'd been doing these last several weeks. A lot of fasting, a lot of Spending time in God's word and much more prayer than I used to. And man, just the the knee-jerk response was submission. The knee-jerk response was submission to someone who's being unkind to me. I didn't have to submit to him. I didn't know him from Adam. I could have put him in his place, but I didn't. The knee-jerk response was submission of humbling myself before him. Because I'd been spending time, more time in God's presence. So that's how you get to that place of that knee-jerk response of humility and submitting to someone who who your flesh doesn't want to feel like submitting to. Spend time in God's presence. And that humbling of yourself, by the way, that humbling of yourself will get you favor with God. And that favor with God means more ready answers to your prayers. Folks, your salvation is not predicated on any of this. Your salvation is based upon grace alone through faith. But the evidence of your salvation is that you should be growing in these things. And God does expect some things from us when we begin walking with Him. And if you want to walk in more grace, more favor, more honor from God, more ready answers to your prayers, there are some things that He does require on your end. Does that make sense? Okay, praise the Lord. So let's go back over our Hebrews 12 graph once again. And and now let's look at it in the positive sense of obeying it. The first time we looked at it, we looked at it in in the negative sense, in the negative consequences of not obeying it. Now let's look at at it in the positive sense of, of obeying it. So make peace with everyone results in holiness. That holiness results in a heightened spiritual perception and sensitivity. And that heightened spiritual sensitivity and perception will lead to easily recognizing when the flesh is trying to get the upper hand, like I did in the gym that day. It was like, bam, just like that. I recognized when the flesh was trying to get the upper hand, squashed it, and was able to move on in the humility of God. So you easily recognize when the flesh is trying to get the upper hand. And as a result of that, you edify yourself and the others around you. Now, what do you think would have happened had I given that man a piece of my mind? I wouldn't have edified him, and I certainly wouldn't have edified myself. So you edify yourself and others around you, and you then get full access to the ever-increasing grace of God. Hallelujah. Now, by grace, I don't necessarily mean, again, salvation, although the negative side of this cycle, as I said earlier, could... Possibly lead to a heaven or hell issue. But what I mean is more grace in the form of more favor, more faith, more reward, and certainly a more fruitful prayer life. So I want to give you an assignment as we close right now. I want to give you an assignment to go home and read 1 Corinthians 13. And that's a list of the characteristics of love. And one of the characteristics of love is keeping no record of wrongs meaning you don't, meaning you don't continually hold that thing against them anymore and judge them and, and hold bitterness toward them anymore okay again there are certain situations where you may not you may not trust people in certain situations again if someone has you know stolen money from you there are certain situations you're not going to trust them with your money anymore out of just wisdom but you can You can at least forgive them and not hold a grudge and bitterness against them anymore. Does that make sense? Okay. So, again, more grace in the form of more faith, more reward, and certainly a more fruitful prayer life. So let that 1 Corinthians 13. I know you've read it probably many times, but go read it again in light of what we covered this morning. So I'd like for you to stand, if you will. Don, if you could come up and play something real quick. I want us to do this. Um, Just close your eyes right now, if you will. I want want you to have a minute between you and the Lord, you and the Holy Spirit, and you and your own conscience. Because I know every time we talk about unforgiveness and bitterness, I know it's always hitting nerves because even though we've talked about this many times, there's always somebody else that Satan will bring into your life since the last time we talked about this, who has wronged you, offended you, hurt you, and you are struggling with having hard feelings toward so I want you to just close your eyes right now and just ask the Lord because maybe you didn't even realize ask the Lord who is it that I'm still holding a grudge against who is it that I'm still dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness against I'm just going to give you a second to let the Holy Spirit answer you and someone will probably probably maybe more than one someone will come to your mind